to another episode of Interverse and surprise we are live in the middle of the day on a Monday just felt like the right thing to do so before we get into what we're going to be talking about today and introduce our intrepid guest here I wanted to give a few announcements because there won't be an outro like normal since this is a live stream and I really just want to make sure anybody that's within the possibility in the range of coming to it here's about music and sky festival uh, Mike Winner, the Alpha Vedic Alpha Warrior himself, is throwing this awesome festival in the middle of California. And this is going to be happening right around o- the weekend of October 15th. I'm going to be there. Come hang out. Let me tune you up with my giant super fork. <laughs> it's totally safe and effective. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you use the link in the show description of this episode or anything that's come out recently, there will also be a coupon code there for you to get a discount on your ticket. Would love to see a lot of you guys out there exploring the real world, creating uh, memories and synchronicities together outside of the screens, outside of the Internet. And another opportunity to do just that is coming up way sooner. There's a Bertaria Festival in Missouri. It's in southeast Missouri in Texas County. You can check that out by looking up. I think Bertaria Times is what you'd Google search for. But if the if you look, you'll find it or email me and I'll send you a link directly. I'm going to be at that as well. That is a Labor Day weekend coming right up. Very inexpensive ticket. You can come out and camp and meet a lot of people in Owen Benjamin's bear community. That's going to be a ton of fun. But now let's get into our awesome material we've got for today. My good friend, Mark Steves from many different podcasts. (laughs) One of the hardest working podcasters. Just really amazing how much he's putting out. And all the connections he's making. He just recently did his 200th episode of My Family Thinks I'm Crazy in two years. I don't know many or any podcasters that have pulled off something like that. And that's not even counting the other shows that he produces or co-hosts on. So, of course, you have My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, the flagship freak show. (laughs) So much fun. Love that podcast. And also, he has the Illuminati Confirmed. Very funny. Very deep. And he's got, let me see. Uh, of course, the brand new one we're going to be talking about today, Esoteric America, about three episodes deep last time I checked on that one. And I know there's at least one more in there that I'm forgetting. Oh, of course, 
your handbook for the apocalypse with our mutual friend, Mike Wan. And so you'll be joining uh, us on that show very soon. I can't wait. Yeah, I love talking to you and I love talking to Uncle Mike. You guys are a lot of fun. I catch as many of those episodes as I can. So you can find all that stuff at MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com. Mark is doing it, really doing the thing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, really great talker. Got that chilled out Libra energy balancing my fiery airy side over here, Aries side. And today we're going to be discussing esoteric America, maybe getting some good stories out of Mark for that and strategies for investigating our own regions. He's also got a really neat little pamphlet called SEEN, S-E-E-E-N, which I'm actually, even though I read it, I'm not sure what that acronym is for. It is sort of like my best introduction to this material would be if you've heard of that Randonautica app where it like takes you into strange places, but the AI is sort of possibly sending you to who knows, like dark synchronicity. Mark has created a little pamphlet guidebook that will allow you to create those type of synchronistic, synchromistic experiences for yourself, breaking out of the routine. I gave it a try this morning. I need to give it a more full try, but I'll tell about my experiences in the second hour. We'll be streaming here and on Rockfin today. The second hour will be exclusive to Rockfin and then uploaded to Patreon later. So when we hit that point, make sure you hop over or subscribe to me on Rockfin. The premium is super worth it. But all right, we're ready to get into it. Mark, thank you for asking to come on again and talk about all the new stuff you're into. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. How you doing? Dude, Chance, thank you for accepting my request. I said, Chance, I got some stuff that you're going to love. Please let me back on Interverse and you kindly obliged. And here we are. And I got to say, I love the intro. I love the way you host your show. It's rare that I can roll my blunt and smoke it before I even get a chance to talk. Usually I'm like describing my shows and like trying to get it finished. So this is awesome. <laughs> I'm excited for how this show's going to go today. And also I want to say I love the way that intro went because the first time I was on the show, I don't believe I saw that. So maybe it's just because we weren't live, but either way, really cool stuff. Thank you for everybody. Yeah, I got new in. music, new intro music. Yeah. Conspiracy music conspiracy guru. Music guru. Yeah, I saw that. That's really cool. And I was also going to say, I'm, I'm really grateful that you pointed out what you pointed out about the scene because that's exactly why I started doing what I was doing because I, I played around with the Randonautica app and it just didn't work for me. And I also lived in an area where I didn't have phone service. So the Randonautica app didn't like, it just didn't gel with my world you know it's not that i think the randonautica app is like causing darkness or something it could be it could be but I i've thought, heard some shit yeah I, I i have too and i thought to myself well i've been doing this randonautica thing already i just wasn't aware of it now that i'm aware of it let me do my best to write it down and it really started over the past few months of just sort of going out in the car and journeying so yeah, thanks for having me on to talk about that. Uh, you plugged most of my shows. There's one other that I do called the Freethinker Society. Um, and uh, Esoteric America is brand new. So we're looking to recruit as many people to be a part of that show as possible because the goal is to have listeners as the guests. We will have experts. We will have authors. But we want to have listeners. Why? Because we're trying to fill out that map. We want to show people how strange this country really is 
And the best way to do that is by recruiting as many local researchers as we can. And sometimes people find stuff that's not even like as crazy as like Bigfoot or, or Dogmen. Sometimes people find stuff that's just like unique to their area and really interesting, like the one-footed snorkel monster. And it's not always just cryptids either. We we talk about Tartaria mounds and native history and and really the the hidden history of of our colonial country and you know personally i live in an area that has you know it's teeming with history right new england there's museums there's little historical markers everywhere so this feels like a no brainer for someone like me but what's been really cool is getting messages from people who are like wow i never thought i could do this you know like whoa i could be a guest on this show really oh i'm going to hit you back up in a month once i have everything you know like it's so cool to see people excited uh, at the opportunity to contribute because I can't go and dig through every small town. You know, I'm only one person. I, I know what I know about Connecticut, and that's only because it's a pretty small state. So it's easy to 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 learn. But I've rambled far enough. How are you, Chance? Yo, man, I'm here for the ramble, but I'll give you a chance to work on that bleasy. <laughs> <laughs> I got to check out when it first launched the first episode of Esoteric America and was very delighted to see our mutual friend Andrea was your special guest for that inaugural mm. show. No, that and was episode two. Oh, my bad. Episode that that's was the right. first one that I caught then. Yeah, that's all right. And she was she was fantastic. No uh no slight on on uh, Andrea, she was great, and we learned about at Minnesota, which I didn't even know existed before I met her. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's great. She's in our live chat right now. So, hey, Andrea, shout out! She actually did some amazing decodes for us on that really weird I pet goat short film. We ended okay. up it's like a seven minute short film, not even, and we went three hours and only got halfway through it. So, we're gonna do a part two. It's a vibrant oh. thing. That makes sense. That makes sense. Shout out. I, I would love to see that. Um, she told us all about the Sage computer program in Minnesota. So I, that seems like it's right up her alley, the iPad goat. And yeah, it was very interesting learning about that part of Minnesota because it's such a remote area, but it's really not. I mean, the people there, they're connected. They're not like, <laughs> you know, they're not like frontiers people, but there was a time when that was the frontier. And uh, the Fox Farms was another part of that episode that really stood out to me. There's a lot. I mean, we we recorded, we decided we would record five episodes of Esoteric America before we released the first one. So we recorded that in June or July, a little far from my memory, but we just talked about the Inland Empire. Um, That will be episode six. Shout out to our friend Jack Asgard, who broke down the Inland Empire, which is another place. It's like weird name for a place, right? Like Inland Empire. I mean, that's the first weird name we've come across on the show, but I'm excited to dig into the etymology. I know you're into etymology too. And like the magic of words, I'm interested. I can't wait to find like a a weird sound like Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Why'd they name it Jim Thorpe? Who's Jim Thorpe? You know, like all these little like, <laughs> pieces of history. You see a sign, you're like, Shemokin Dam. What's Shemokin Dam? You know, 
So that's that's what we're trying to inspire in people is like that curiosity to look to relook and reexamine. And this is, you know, it's not my, you know, uh, mission completely. I've been inspired by people that you're well aware of, people you've spoken to, you know, Michael Wan, Ross Ben. This is, you know, Chad, of course, he's one of our co-hosts, Chad Stemke. Um, you know, these guys are putting out really interesting books dealing with just that subject. So if we can inspire more people to start digging through this stuff, imagine the, you know, the authors and researchers that are yet to get into this stuff. You know, that's what really inspires me is that we're going to maybe inspire, I'm using that word a lot, people to start, you know, really seriously re-examining, not just, oh, join me on a show one for an hour, but like really seriously examining it. And I noticed that with your community, people are, are participating. You know, we want people to participate and I'm only one man. I don't know everything. So it's extremely helpful when listeners like Andrea are there to decode iPad goat or wherever, you know, because I'm definitely not the arbiter of truth. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm doing this uh, with the help of, of an army of like-minded crazy people. <laughs> well, like-minded families think they're crazy people, <laughs> but maybe right. we're the not crazy ones. I think about a lot how my dad has, has all these books on like local regional lore. Mm-hmm. And it seems that that used to be a really big thing that people would write little books about le- local legends and mythology. And there was a flavor for every location mm-hmm. and people were really, really interested in that. And now, you know, it seems like most people are kind of interested more in not that legends and lore are necessarily not fictional, but they're more interested in your like TV shows and the mythology and legends that are being given to them by the, the well, Hollywood. It seems like it's machine. gone from legends and lore to rumors and gossip. You know, it's like, it's like people are more interested in like their neighbor's drama than they are like, you know, the country and i think it's because the cities have taken the focus for a while people were really enamored by the industrial revolution i think that's waning it's been waning for quite a while now and i think people more than ever you know and it's it's kind of a cliche people like at least where i live uh they'll live their their first 30 40 years of their life in new york city and then they'll do the exact opposite and buy like a remote little forest house, you know, in the middle of, of the woods somewhere, right. In Vermont or Connecticut or New Hampshire. And they'll just do the exact opposite because the city like literally overloads their, their nervous system. And the only way to recuperate from that heightened frequency of electricity and energy is to deprogram and go out into the, the forest and reconnect with that baseline with the, with the energy that is actually nourishing us when we take time to appreciate it. So if this book that I wrote and it stands for the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding. Now I say that all the time, like everybody should know it, but it is a mouthful. (laughs) Um, But the, the book can be used anywhere. It's a travel guide for anywhere, wherever you are. So if you live in a city, take a day, Take a day off, get out of there, go and explore. And you might be thinking like, I don't like the woods. I don't, you don't even have to really get out of your car to do 
this type of game that I've written out. You know, I don't want to say I've invented it by any means. All I did was, was write it out. You know, I, I think anyone else could have come up with this system, but the point is to take yourself out of your normal routine consciousness and the stories that you were just describing, like this local lore, I think helped people do that in a way. And it, and this is sort of like rediscovering those stories because they're all out there. Like I said, there's historical markers, there's, you know, museums, there's little places, signs, you know, things that, that will say things that will point to a book or, or a story in your history that isn't appreciated right now, but is being wait, you know, waiting for you to find it because it might synchronistically fit into what you've got going on. I mean, here in New England, there's a whole lore about like Yankee peddlers and like these guys who would like leave New England and sell all of their fares around the, the South and the Midwest. And they had a reputation for being like, uh, you know, sort of crafty dealers, salesmen, you know, they might rip you off. They might like tell you, sell you a tall tale or something. So that's been interesting. Uh, like looking into that history because for people who don't know me, I used to be a farmer's market salesman and I would bark. You know what barking is? Woof woof. <laughs> no. So at a market or, or like a, Oh, you I mean like the boat that carries raw across the sky, the solar bark? <laughs> no, okay. no, this is, this is like, this is like a guy standing on a box in like a crowded city market going over here, over here. Come on, try this bread. It's the number one bread in town. And I'm kind of doing that like someone in the 1920s, but I would literally do that. I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, gather around and get the number one bread in town. And, you know, just like all these little rhymes to get people over to our bakery table at the farmer's market. And, you know, all that to just make a little analogy of like look at how i organically found that job in a place where that's sort of a role it's an archetype you know in new england that's an archetype the let me throw in something too you know what you're doing there you're making it an experience to come get the bread you're Mm. making it fun and that energy transitions into when they're eating it you know they're connecting to the fun of that experience too i hope you mostly did the uh the voice and not just the rhyme because you did a pretty good voice Thank you. Well, people always say, you know, our bodies are however much percent water. Well, bread is a certain percent water, too. So if I'm if I'm sitting there at the bread table, like calling my bread, you know, bad words and and saying, oh, I hate my job. Yeah, my bread is probably going to make people sick. (laughs) But if I'm to your point, if I'm happy and smiling and saying this bread is the best bread in the world, people are going to eat it and literally taste the full flavor. Wow, I never, I didn't really think about it like that until just now. But yeah, that is, that is certainly true. And when uh, I do my like gratitude practice before eating, one of the components of that is I just ask for any energy or vibes of any people or places that came in contact with the food that is not what I want to just not be a part of the, the meal. And I feel like that's pretty helpful too, especially if you're eating restaurant food, because there might be a cook back there that's just like, really hating his day that day and you don't want that yeah, going you, in you. you you want that to reflect 
reflect away from you. Yeah. I, I always say bless all the hands that went into making this food, you know, to acknowledge that, yeah, maybe not everybody who put their hands into the work that it took to grow or cook that food. Uh, maybe they, they need a little bit of blessing too. So, but I'm yeah, man, I thank them too. I just released their, whatever bad vibes might've been too. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought you meant. And I, um, I think when it comes to the point of gratitude, at least for the point of this synchromistic exploration of the ever expanding now. And like you said, we're going to get into your experience in the Rockfin uh, portion of the show or the premium portion of the show. And, you know, gratitude is the most important thing for that as well. I don't remember if I put it in the pamphlet itself, but the, the goal of the pamphlet is to be the first of many. So there'll be a second edition, a third, a fourth, a fifth with more information. And maybe that'll all compile into one solid book uh, at some point. But gratitude is extremely important. You know, being present and thanking whatever it is you believe in that's between you and the rest of the world or between you and heaven and the underworld or wherever, you know, you see yourself in this spiritual plane. Gratitude is extremely important. And I've been. I've been hearing that a lot from not just guests of my show, but friends that I've been meeting who have been changing their life for the better. And I think that's something that can help people get out of a funk, right? They go on a scene journey, a little trip, they get out of their routine. It's important to be grateful because when we're not in this state of gratitude, A, it's hard to see and be aware of what might be there for you. And B, you might be limiting yourself from experiencing those things because you're not expressing it from a state of gratitude. I'm sure you know this. It's a, it's the same reason why we just described praying over our food. We, we can pray over our, our journey, not just to make sure that we're safe, but to make sure that we're taking full potential you know, we're realizing our full potential. We're, we're maximizing the potential of this trip. Um, you joked with me in the voice message that, oh, you weren't kidding when you, you said set aside four hours. And it's like, yeah, you, you want to set aside time because our minds do not operate on a one to two to three to four to five to six hour schedule. You know, like that's so arbitrary. And, and one of the fun things that, this type of journey does is pulls you out of that. You know, everybody knows times time flies when you're having fun. Well, that's exactly what happens. And it's, it's not like, you know, you're going to go on this trip. You're going to be laughing and like, Oh, like doubling over. Like it's, it's not meant to be like a, a fun experience like that. It's meant to be a contemplative meditative fun experience in the sense that like you're letting go of what you normally would do that day. It doesn't mean be irresponsible. It just means prepare to not have any obligations that day. Because like you said, Chance, like, whoa, I should have put more time aside because your journey was pulling you somewhere. And maybe it was pulling you just to where you got. And then this conversation's happening. But there, there is another timeline where Chance messaged Mark and, and said, hey, can't, do this podcast today. Let's reschedule for tomorrow. 
you know, cause something crazy happened on that synchromistic journey. Like those are the possibilities that are, are uh, available. And I wouldn't have minded if that happened, but I also say that like, you know, set, set your, your sights on, on giving yourself as much time as possible for something like that, because you can, you can be, you know, in an ayahuasca ceremony, you could do some kind of mushroom thing. Like all that can help a person transform themselves. But my argument is that you can transform your life in an equally impactful way, completely sober with just minimal. I mean, me, I'm a cannabis addict, so I smoke weed every day, but, uh, but even that, you know, it's like a very minimal buzz. Um, even with the slightest, you know, I, and I recommend people use sage, cedar, the sweet grass, the, the burning, smudging herbs that are recommended in the, in the pamphlet because they're connecting us to this greater reality around us which ayahuasca and those psychedelic plants do that uh don't get me mistaken but they're doing it at the highest velocity it's like the difference between going on like a king de ka roller coaster and like going on a swing set at a park right like like my book is just the swings like you're just going to go on the swings you're going to swing back and forth you're going to enjoy you know like if you do ayahuasca or mushrooms or something like that, that's like a roller coaster. Like you're going fast, you're going up, you're, go, you know, like th- this book is meant to be like a mild hallucinogen, right? Does that make sense? Is that, I, I don't want to bill it that way because that makes it sound weird. But, but after I said that analogy, does that make sense? Absolutely, man. I'm actually happy to get into that as sort of the direction maybe I wanted to go next is the dream walking aspect, but I heard one thing that I've been contemplating for a while and just wasn't sure about is why is the mainstream now and has been for a while, but really starting to heavily push the whole psychedelic thing as um, like moving it into the pharmaceutical domain and the professional psychiatric domain, right? You know, we got like Toe Rogan, has been telling people to do it for a long time. <laughs> Came across anecdotal information from somebody that knew him that suggested he didn't even ever do DMT. Like, I don't know. There could be something there. And why is this all getting pushed in such big mainstream places to uh, do these hardcore psychedelics? And the answer that I came across from somebody commenting somewhere that just like, whoa, that makes sense is that we're dealing with a hyper-materialistic culture and not that psychedelics have no spiritual value. I don't think that at all, but the materialist culture is like grabbing onto psychedelics as a way of collecting experiences in like a materialistic way. Whereas the real spiritual benefit of anything psychedelic or practice wise is how much awareness of yourself and your environment that it helps you generate Mm. and like the recreational use of psychedelics sometimes people don't even get much awareness out of that right and in my my experience with them i would try really hard to treat it like i was going on some kind of a, a shamanic experience where i needed to 
see more clearly something about myself. I was hiding from myself and all of that, but (laughs) I love where this is going right now. So what you're describing is the attempt to quantify spirituality. You can't quantify spirituality, right? But science materialism wants to be able to explain these things that are intangible with tangible means. So you can break these molecules or, or these elements down to their finer molecules, right? By element, I mean psychedelic plants. You could break those down and be like, okay, so the DMT is doing this and the ME5OM whatever's doing this and the theobromines do it. Like they have all of these explanations for what these molecules are doing because they're attempting to quantify the experiences because, and this is getting into my speculation and then I'll explain a little further. Um, I think it's because they're trying to create or find a way to augment reality digitally and a psychedelic yeah, let me just toss in be. the possibility that the synthetic ones mm. can actually be programmed more easily. Right. Well, and and that could be part of it. And I think maybe the 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 push of psychedelics towards pharmaceuticals or being more legitimate or just being more accepted, it could be insidiously because they're trying to augment digital reality and they need a in-between. They need something to put our mind in a state where we're not going to get sick from motion sickness. We're not going to like lose track of who we are in our actual physical world. So there are some thoughts that maybe that's why the interest it's, it's technological and you know, it kind of fits in line with what you're saying. My argument in it is, is that people have it all backwards with psychedelics. The experience is in you. The plant is activating it, right? There's no experience in the plant. Science wants to say that the experience is in the mushroom. The experience is in the DMT. No, no, no. The experience that you have is the blending of you, your life, your mind, your consciousness, your karma, everything that's ever happened to you, and the the karma of this infinitely different being, right? A psychedelic mushroom is a being. It's a fungus. It's a it's one of the stranger properties of any living being we've ever seen, you know, this ability to like cause an effect like this, right? On on a scientific level, it's very strange. But I think it's only strange because science doesn't understand how strange our mind is yet, right? That we could pull an experience like that out of the mushroom by blending with it. So that's where I stand with it. I know it might not be completely precise uh, or well thought out, but (laughs) I think that when it comes to whatever you experience consciously, like it's not going to be LSD or mushrooms that provide that experience because to your point, I think you mentioned this earlier, or maybe I'm just imagining this. But different people have different experiences on different substances. It's not going to be the same for every person. I mean, I remember that being the case with cannabis where I was a huge proponent. I loved it and didn't cause any problems for me. So I'd tell people like, oh, do you smoke? Why not? And they would say, oh, it makes me paranoid. And I would say, well, that's telling you something about you. 
And I wouldn't argue with them. I would just make a suggestion like, well, maybe there's something that you aren't aware of or that you're ignoring that the cannabis is trying to make you aware of. And that's the true reason why you're paranoid, right? I'm sure people who have experience with plant medicine understand this concept that plants are actually revealing things about ourselves that need to be changed. Uh, And I think that if you have enough experiences with psychedelics, you'll ultimately be led in the opposite direction of where this materialist paradigm is going. So it is an interesting catch 22 that science is putting itself in by exploring the possibilities of using psychedelics for their own reasons or their own agenda. Rather, we saw this happen in the sixties where they thought LSD was going to be the perfect MK ultra tool. And it ended up almost, you know, collapsing the, the society that we're in. And, and, Maybe that was on purpose. Maybe they did that to create all these communes and and uh, disenfranchise people and, you know, fringe people so that they can invade those, you know, sectors of our culture. Maybe. But I also think that we're in America. We're in a place that for thousands of years had a certain cultural, spiritual energy. And when the Western culture mixed with the cultures that were here in North and South America, um, something spiritual was exchanged. And in Mexico, this is remembered as Montezuma's curse, right? You you don't go to Mexico as a non-Mexican and just drink the water. You'll be sick, right? Because there's all these local bacteria that are local to that area. And if you're not, you know, your immune system hasn't evolved with those bacterias. You're not going to be very happy drinking the Mexican water. And I think that's how this country is in a, in a sort of macrocosmic way. You know, we've been drinking the water here in America for a long time without recognizing uh, who is drinking that first. And I think part of the psychedelic uh, wave that we're experiencing is like a response to the heavy materialist energy that's been anchored here in North America, a place where the opposite was true a thousand years ago. And yeah, I'm not like one of these people who's like a social justice warrior, cultural appropriation or anything like that. I don't really agree with a lot of that. I think that's a lot of weaponized psyops to to divide us. But I think that the there are wise people who've prophesized exactly what's happening in this country right now. So the idea of dream walking is not just to like have a fun, like spend your weekend, like doing something different. It's to help people connect with the energy of North America, because at this time we are all finding our roles. We are all finding our purpose. And I think that where you were born in this country has a energetic imprint that's been left for thousands of years. And the people that were there longer than this culture left a sort of pattern. And that pattern 
gets replaced the same way that a farmer resoils a field, right? You, you take, you turn all the soil up, but underneath that layer is still there. And over time, another layer is added, another layer is added, but those layers are still there. That's kind of what we're talking about here is reconnecting with those layers that have been covered over by only 400 years of history. And it's kind of weird. I don't mean to sound like a revolutionary, but I think what's happening is people are waking up from the oppression and the Native American consciousness is helping people rebel against this materialist, industrial, oppressive system. And you can connect with your own individual ancestors, of course, but you can also connect with the ancestors of this land that you were born on. If you're born in America, there are ancestors here that are not, let's say, genealogically connected to you, but they are connected to you. They're connected to you through the dirt through the soil, through the common ground that you both share as living beings. And part of dreamwalking is putting yourself in the right state of mind to receive these messages that these ancestors are trying to speak to a people that speak a different language than them, right? Because these, these people are not English speakers. They spoke all sorts of different languages. But there's a common human connection that we can have with them and we could forge it through the animals, the plants, the minerals, the elements, the actual regions of the the place that we find ourselves in. We can connect with those ancestors and receive their wisdom, help them because they need our help too, um, and help ourselves. Because many of us are sleepwalkers. <laughs> We're not dreamwalkers. Many of us are sleepwalkers. I know Chance and I may might not be, you know, we might not appear like sleepwalkers, but there was a time in my life where I was a sleepwalker. Chance, maybe there was a time in your life. I don't want to speak for you, but oh, definitely is the opposite of sleepwalking, right? Because, you know, it's helping you wake up to this greater reality that we're all really a part of it's it's a part of our reality in a in the same way that dreams are a part of our reality it's always there whether you remember your dreams or not when you wake up in the morning there's a good chance you had some you know and i think a lot of people have been taught to not consider their dreams as important when in the past dreams would have been the most important thing to think and talk about, you know, now if you tell someone your dream, they're like, Oh, that's silly. You know, Oh, you, you saw your friend bill in your dream and you guys were at the bus stop and the bus pulled up to the airport and then the bus flew like good, good for you, dude. You know, like, <laughs> dreams are just like, they sound wacky, you know, with the, like the context and everything, but there well, are cultures. Let me weigh in on a couple of things before yeah, I'm kind of going on a diatribe here. Let me finish one last. Okay, line. yeah, you there got are it. Cultures buddy. in this world who collectively dream together as a unit, and when they wake up, they all discuss their collective dream. So I think that's possible, 
And I think America is in a sort of collective dream that's been warped by the powers that be. And it's now time for us to awaken to that, get out of our sleep and start dream walking into the reality that we want to co-create. Yeah, brother, preach it. <laughs> I'm into it. There's so much to respond to, but the ancestor part is fascinating because it doesn't even matter if you have the direct lineage connecting you to people that were on the land before you. Not that long ago, I had Matt Powers on the show and he does like, he's a cannabis grower that got really deep into the science of what makes things grow well and sort of a citizen scientist, if you will, exploring microscopy and microbes and DNA and finding out all kinds of crazy shit that supports a much more mystical view of reality, like seeing organisms spontaneously generate in the soil while looking through the microscope when the conditions were right for those type of organisms. And, you know, there's been like a lot of things from writers and thinkers and philosophers of the past that say, <laughs> when you leave the rotten meat out, the maggots and flies kind of just like pop into existence because that's the environment for them. And in an interesting way, there's possibly something real about that because the soil, the dirt, it holds on to the DNA that gets left in it for, we don't even know how long, possibly like forever. DNA is actually pretty hard to destroy, especially well, because of the scale that it's at. And that's so whenever that. our skin makes contact with soil, the DNA in that soil informs our body how to adapt to the environment it's in. And then informs the environment that we're touching who we are and how to better serve us. So there's like this constant back and forth, but you have to actually get out there and touch it. You actually have to get out there and be in it for it to communicate to you. And your body is the, the channel for this communication to go through. So in a very literal sense, we might actually be connecting with and communicating with ancestors through our bodies just by going out into a more untamed environment <laughs> with older ground and older growth and touching the trees and walking barefoot. There's a lot to that. And I just want to weigh in on the dream thing. My dreams lately have been really crazy. Like when I woke up today, I felt like I'd been gone for weeks. <laughs> like so much stuff has been happening in the dreams lately. I do think that the consensus reality is more like a solid state shared dream than some kind of like physical, uh, independently existing, you know, placeness. Hard to really describe that. It's very odd. When you said you felt like you had been gone for weeks, I got a distinct ringing in my ear. Um, interesting. I wonder if, if <laughs> maybe we, we spoke on the astral realm last night before we had this conversation. <laughs> Very I possible. I messaged you last night, like, are we still on for tomorrow? So the, the link was there. Uh, but anyways, wow, interesting. And I wanted to just comment on your point about the dirt in the DNA. That's why mounds are so special, because you have all of your ancestors buried in one place. You have all these people buried. And cemeteries, too, unfortunately, you know, now modern practices are to either burn the body or put it in a box, which doesn't 
seem and then put cement over the top of it. So I don't know what the thought is there. Maybe there's some more insidious reasons for that, but yeah, to think or just like the instinct to do that was guided by some other force that didn't have people's best interests in mind. Like maybe people didn't start that practice for intentionally bad reasons, but right. Like we talk about the microbiome, there's a lot going on in the chat right now. People describing things under a microscope, fungus and bacteria that actually resemble certain figures and certain things that like relate to that thing. Uh, one person's talking about the ergot fungus resembling a Venus figurine. <laughs> very, very wild possibility. But like the microbiome, that layer of reality, I think it's a more, I think it's just as accurate of a description of the microbes to call them like um, spirits or angels or demons or whatever that <laughs> what makes us healthy or ill is way more spiritual than uh, mechanistic, generally speaking, and that these are life forms. They contain life force energy. They're, they're the same fractal structure as everything else in the cosmos. And we have influence on them, but they have influence on us back. It's a constant com- conversation back and forth. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. The fractalization of concepts down to their smallest fi- forms. Uh, and then there being a conscious resemblance because there is a subjective layer that we have to be able to eliminate to a certain extent. But then also it's like, well, we are affecting everything we observe, so we can't count ourselves out. And I think that's one of the modern dilemmas in science. But I like this idea that Venus, the, the light bringer, uh, the, the Eastern star could be, right? Is it the Eastern star? I don't, I don't know. Well, the morning and evening star. The morning star. Thank you. Eastern stars, the female Masons. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Thank the you. Eastern right, stars so. are the sun rising. And I guess Venus would be an Eastern star if it was, it hangs out pretty close to the sun generally. But well, hey, can we mornings. go on, um, can we go in a direction right now that yeah. I wanted people to hear about in this first hour? Like going back to the scene thing, synchronistic exploration of the ever expanding now. And uh, we talked about dreamwalking as opposed to sleepwalking. We could maybe get into more of that in terms of how you describe engaging your dreaming mind while you're awake and how that feels and what that's like when you're doing this scene thing. But (laughs) maybe we could give a bit of a more from the ground up explanation of what this process is going to entail if somebody wants to embark on one of these journeys Mm -hmm. and what the uh, implements that you recommend people have with them are used for. Pair of dice, compass, a map a notebook and pen, a camera, a backpack, and a cup. Can we talk some more about that? <laughs> and of course, yeah. if it's you, also a pipe or, or some blunt wraps. <laughs> well, yeah, that I didn't recommend outright, but I think people see that little pipe symbol and get the gist. But uh, yeah, I have, a, I have my dice. I just found these at a gas station. Um, I, I recommend people have the cup with them purely for the dice. So like when you're in a car... You don't want to be like casting dice around your car because you're never going to find them and you might crash. So just have a cup and like Yahtzee, you ever play Yahtzee where you shake the dice in the cup? Just shake the cup and look down and see where the dice settle. That's your, you know, that'll be your, your divination tool. And 
the reason I'd like to do this when, uh, when I'm driving is just to provoke randomness because you're going to come to a point if you follow the instructions where you're lost, you don't know where you are. And instead of relying on like, you know, maybe your normal means of getting around, you're just going to make a random choice based on dice. So you'll say odds are left, evens are right. So anytime I take the dice and shake it, I get an even number that next turn at a fork in the road or my next chance to turn right, I'm going to go right. And then, you know, in a place like where I live, where people are constantly being funneled to main roads, it could be really fun because there's a lot of little back roads that you can get down and you find a reservoir that you never knew was there. You find a you know mountain you didn't drive by yet and see like a view of it that you've never seen before, you know, and, you know, this is the, the type of randonautica thing that you, we were describing. Now, the other parts of the toolkit, a backpack, that's used because you're going to find something eventually. If you do these types of journeys, dreamwalking journeys enough, you'll find stones, you'll find maybe a stick, you'll, you know, you'll find something cool that you want to take home, whether you're an artist or not, you know, maybe you want to tinker with it, maybe you want to paint on it. Or maybe you just think it looks cool and you just want to have it in your house and and something feels right. Again, back to the point of gratitude, express gratitude when you find something like that, because signs will come to you as objects, omens or occurrences, right? Something might happen to you that's intangible that you can't like totally pick up. Uh, An omen might appear. You know, it's not quite something happening. It's just something you see. That's an omen. And then an object would be why you would need a backpack. So we got the cup, the dice, backpack explained. Now the compass is for figuring out your bearings. So again, we're we're using a map and a GPS, but we're not using them in the same way we would if we were saying like, all right, we're going to go from here to here, right? No, that's not how we're dreamwalking. We're using the map and the GPS to just get an idea of, okay, where am I in relation to all these other things? You know, and maybe the map might say like, oh, here's a lake, here's a here's a mountain and you want to go to those general areas. That's fine. But when you're in those general areas, use the map, use the compass to determine what direction you're facing when you find an object, an omen or an occurrence happen to you, because I found that that adds more detail to the experience. If you are facing the east, there are symbols that go with the east that also connect to this, whatever it is you you just experienced, north, south, east, west. Those are important markers and help us understand the reality, the true reality that we're in. They're they're like um, constants, right? So the compass is for that purpose. And I'm a weird cat, but I've had sort of a pigeon sense of uh, of direction for a while. And I'm not the only one people who navigate the world sort of get this like good sense of direction. So compass might not be necessary for someone like that, but you do want to have it to verify, be like, Oh, I was right. We are facing the North. Um, the other thing too, is the dice symbolically represent similar to the compass, the directions. A cube, which is what the dice says, is forward, back, left, right, up, down. I didn't even think about that. I, that's awesome. Yeah, another layer to it. I mean, I 
I'll have to mull that over for a while before it becomes integrated into like a technique. But like I, I could see the uh, the symbolism. I mean, the black and white is certainly symbolic to me of of yin and yang. Um, that's why I have the green and white dice. I thought these were cool because it's sort of like earth and sky. But um, but anyways, so yeah, the compass is is sort of to help you get your bearings, and then the notebook and the utensil are to take notes because depending on how long you're out on this journey, you're going to want to remember little things, little signs, and you just kind of keep like, or it's, you know, a running log for me, you know, when I'm out doing this stuff over the past year, I've had my girlfriend Tara with me. So it's very easy. If I'm driving, she could take notes, you know, and so on and so forth. So you could do this with a loved one or a friend. Uh, I find that when you're, Actually, you know, when you want to really connect with yourself and experience maybe something close to self-transformation or self-discovery, it's probably better to be alone or with someone like a significant other, someone who you, you're very comfortable with. Because the idea is that you have a problem in your life. All of us do. We all have problems in our lives. We might not be aware of those problems. We might not fully understand how to deal with them. And that's okay. You know, and our modern society has taught us, oh, well, you can medicate. Oh, well, you could talk to some expert. Oh, you could just spend $20 a month and, and have like a phone call with people every month. Like, you know, like there's all these ways that people are going about trying to get better. And what's always worked for me is going within. And the other thing too is these problems are typically something that we do routinely. Mm. You know, whatever the problems are, are very often connected to the way that we divvy up the hours in our pie chart of time every day. And so what we're doing with this scene exploration would be breaking out of the routine, which allows the space for contemplation and the space for realization of what it feels like to not be in that routine just by that virtue alone there's a lot of benefit to it right and you're absolutely right you're you're setting yourself out of the boundaries of the the life that's actually might might have caused some of those problems you're looking to get away from so yes it is extremely helpful to remove yourself from your routine uh, even if it's just for a day you know, and then you don't even have to spend like you don't have to go and like go on this big vacation. That's the point of this travel guide being a travel guide to wherever you find yourself. You know, I want people to just maybe drive down the road and go to a part of town they haven't explored before and 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 use this guide as a way to make it fun because it's going to be fun. But you're going to find yourself maybe noticing a pattern, right? If you keep track of the omens, the occurrences, the objects that you run into, you interact with on this journey, there's going to be a pattern that's going to come to the surface. It might not be there. It might not be apparent the first time, the second time, or the third time, but it's there. And the more you go out and sit with yourself in this dreamwalking state, and we could talk a little bit about how to put yourself in the dreamwalking state of mind um, in a moment, but yeah. And again, I'm not a therapist, you know, I'm not like a license, anything like that. I've had my own issues with, 
you know, health and, and social health and mental health and all those things that people deal with in society in the fragmented society that we're in. And when I said, you know, going within has always been helpful for me. I don't mean like going within and closing myself off from the rest of the world. I mean, going within and, and examining and meditating and thinking about who I really want to be and what's really happening in my life and what, what the difference between those places are and how I can make that difference smaller, right? Because we're always trying to be something that maybe we aren't yet, right? And, and the trick is to know that you're that already. And remember what I said earlier about like time flies when you're having fun? Well, that's part of this dreamwalking thing. It's like you could change your life like that very quickly. But from the mindset that maybe you're in right now, it's not going to happen. It's about a mind sh mindset shift. So when I'm driving and I'm listening to a podcast, I have moments where I drift out and my attention fades and I am not listening to the words that are being spoken but I am hearing the podcast go on. And I think some people, when this happens to them, maybe they have the experience of like, oh, I'm not paying attention. What was I just, you know, and then maybe they rewind and figure out what they missed. But that is actually a type of consciousness. And it particularly happens when you're driving, riding a bike, and maybe walking if you walk a lot, um, if you're, you know, a frequent walker. Uh, but I think walking is a little more immersive and we'll get into that. But with driving and biking, you can get into a flow state. And for people who are too in their own head and you're listening to a podcast, those moments when you drift out or you zone out or you, you stop paying attention, but you're still listening, those are moments of extremely powerful consciousness for me. I've always used those moments to provoke a synchronicity. So, yeah, it's kind of like hitting the hypnagogic state. Yeah, temporarily like, drift into like a theta brainwave. Well, it's difficult to to like speak on this in the sense that like I don't want to tell people like, okay, when this happens to you, do this because there really isn't like a do this. I'm just saying like recognize that it's happening. And then key in your awareness to your surroundings. Because obviously you got to pay attention to the road, right? But I think a lot of people kind of drift into this like, okay, just stay on the road. No, look around. There are going to be birds. There are going to be animals. There are going to be rocks. There are going to be plants. There might even be landscape formations or weather patterns that are going to occur in a way that is meaningful to you in that moment. And with the right examination of those symbols, you can write, rewrite the story of your life. You know, that's kind of what the, the book helps people understand is you are constantly authoring your life with your mind and with your actions. What I noticed doing it today and it wasn't even what you might call like a full session. It was sort of like a little experimental one. <laughs> but I noticed the difference was really clear in the quality of my attention 
to the path and things on the path and what the sky looked like. And I just felt way more in the moment while I was on this walk. And I think it was because I was like looking for the omens, <laughs> you know, I wasn't treating the world as just this material stuff that I'm passing through in search of a particular goal. Instead, you know, it's like that old cliche, the journey is the point, not the destination. And I was like really in the journey. So I'll tell <laughs> this is like maybe an inappropriate aspects of the story in terms of like some of the weirdness of what conclusions That's I came you're to. waiting for Rockman. <laughs> yeah. like, Got to get it past YouTube censorship. No, I just want to only tell it to the people that support. I, give them. I appreciate tea. that. Shout out. You to know, the we are getting close group. to that point and I was hoping, and I don't think there's really time for it unless we have the uh, space to go a little long, but I was kind of hoping for some kind of like a, anecdotal story that either you experienced or somebody that has tried out your scene method has had happen. And I know setting intentions first could also be a really powerful thing. Like if you're using any divinatory tool and you put parameters on it, like this is what I want to know about that can really in- impact the divination quality. So I know, and I know with the Randonautica to... thing, people that had dark experiences like would ask for something fucked up and then they would find like a dead body. So mm, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not saying to do that, but how, yeah, I don't expect that to happen for people with this. I mean, the, the whole Randonautica thing, I think that's like, it's totally different in the sense that you're, you're bringing someone else's will or intention into the equation. Whereas this pamphlet has my will like totally not in it at all. Like I, you can do whatever you want with this pamphlet. I'm not like telling you where to go. Right. So I don't expect that kind of stuff to happen because when you're engaging with the scene, it's just you and you. And if you don't have that kind of stuff going on in your life, you're not going to be brought to a situation like that. I think unfortunately, because Randonautica was what it was, there was other people's intentions creating like this egregore and then using people's uh, intention, attention and abilities to go to these places and, you know, take part in something that maybe wasn't started by themselves. Right. So this is different in the sense that you're going to start this. You're going to you're going to provoke this change. So when you're walking and walking is a good way to do this. I do want people to drive and get somewhere different. But yeah, at some point, get out of your car, walk around, explore, get off your bike, walk around. And when you're doing that, you're going to do something called a walking meditation. And there's more information out there on this if you want like a deep how to. But I've been doing this for almost six years now. Uh, so it's, it's something that I've put into practice and I've noticed a very different um, different form of consciousness evolving once I made this change. So when you walk, you're going to try to match the rhythm of your steps with your breath. And this is going to be different for everybody. Everybody has different gait, different height, you know, breath. So it's going to be different for everybody, but you got to find the rhythm. So it might be four steps for every inhale and four steps for every exhale. It might be five. It might be two, right? But you're going to match your steps with your inhale and your exhale. And you're going to begin to walk in this flowing state 
where now you're thinking about your breath for enough time to maybe stop thinking about your relationship problems or your you know money problems or your job problems or whatever problems that you're looking for a solution for or maybe didn't realize there was a solution for those are going to still be there they're going to be on the precipice but you're going to walk through meditating and allow for these omens occurrences and objects to show you the truth behind those problems rather than allowing <laughs> sorry about that um instead of allowing for your mind to com- you know have complete control over the uh situation you're going to allow for this feedback to take place between you and your natural world because your world is alive it's speaking to you and um and I, I feel like I'm kind of going away from the point you were just making chance because that dryer buzzer just distracted me. But uh, <laughs> that was the buzzer saying, all right, it's time to switch over to the rock for an hour. <laughs> right on. Oh, and by the way, I want to yeah, we, we can get into that. that. We wanted to talk about or maybe like how setting intentions can derive a specific experience. And maybe you've got some stories to share from people doing this method, too, that we can get into there on the other side. Mm. You also said, do you have any uh, direct like experiences from people using the scene and what happened? So you listen to your handbook for the apocalypse. So I know that I don't, I'm not sure if you've listened to the latest few episodes, but when I went to Pennsylvania, um, Michael Juan, Tara and I had what I would consider a dreamwalking experience in the Serpentine Barrens. So we did discuss that a little bit on that show, but I could discuss it again. Um, it's certainly, you know, sort of an interesting experience. It'd probably be better suited with Mike's take as well. He's a little better at explaining it than me. But the book was finished after we came back from uh, visiting Mike. So, you know, that there really hasn't been that much time. I mean, it's only been out for a month, so I haven't, I haven't gotten any feedback other than people saying they liked reading it. Um, I don't know how many people have actually tried it. You're the first person actually to, to have an experience that we're about to get into. And I want to give a shout out to everybody who supports Interverse. I've been supporting Interverse on Patreon for a while. I think I follow you on Rockfin, but we're both on Rockfin. So it's kind of like whatever. You know, but Patreon. Yeah, we're mutual patrons of each other. That is true. Exactly. So shout out to all the patrons on Interverse. I uh, I appreciate being a part of the community that you have there, Chance. And uh, and thank you for, for having me. I know we're going to go over to the, the premium side. So for everybody listening on the free side, check me out. My family thinks I'm has all my podcasts on it. All We're almost 250, but we just got to episode 200. For the proper My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And it's a nine hour episode. What eight the? different interviews. It's going to be, it's wild. People are going to love it. So go check that out. That is bold, man. Going big. Yeah, I love it, dude. I enjoy My Family Thinks I'm Crazy and all the other shows that you do when I can get to them. And uh, certain, certain episodes of your handbook for the apocalypse and your main show have been really awesome for me personally. I do enjoy being a patron. People should definitely consider throwing Mark some support because he does 
way, way more for free for everybody here <laughs> than is even reasonable. <laughs> like he's hard, he's hard at work, always hustling to create awesome content. And he knows what a good podcast sounds like. He's a great producer, puts a lot of effort into the editing and making every episode feel unique. Really appreciate you in the space. And it's been cool to watch the meteoric rise to power. <laughs> You definitely deserve it, man. You're you're a special, special thinker in all of this. Oh. And cool that you've already started publishing some of your own things for people to get into in terms of uh, other types of media. Uh, people definitely check them out on Patreon. MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com will have links to all the things. And another thing that was funny in the chat, the book, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho came up. And I'm sure Mark is probably familiar with that book. He's a big reader. And uh, that that's a good example of the sort of crazy magic that can happen when we set intentions. Because I, a few years back, probably actually before I started the show, I was told about the book, The Alchemist, and that I should read it. And I kept getting that message from different people. And I said to myself, okay, I'd like to read it. And one of the people that told me about it said, it'll come to you when it's time for you to read it. So I said, I would like to read this book. Please come to me. And later that week, I went on a trip. So again, getting out of the comfort zone, going out of the routine, I went to Chicago. And while I was there, the friend who I went to stay with, she pulled out a copy of the book, The Alchemist, and was like, someone just gave me this. And I read it and they said to pass it on when I was done with it. So I'm passing it on to you. I was like, what? It's the very week that I said that I wanted to read it. <laughs> so I read it and passed it on. But that's a good book about, you know, how everything is significant in our life. And it's all a big interconnected dream walking adventure for sure. Synchronicity doubled because my childhood friend, Cody, who lives in Hawaii now just messaged me a day ago and hard. We hardly talk, you know, it's very sparse here and there over the years. And he said, Hey, have you ever read The Alchemist? Like just, and he's asked me that before years ago, and I bought it after he told me to read it. But it's funny that you bring that up because I just had a really deep conversation with him, and uh, well, over Instagram. So I don't know how deep you can get just through text, but you know, he mentioned it again, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I think I actually gave away my copy of The Alchemist to somebody in my Patreon. Uh, because for people at a high enough tier, I, I used to send out books. I stopped doing that mostly because I can't afford to ship them. It's like $10 to, to send it. And, and then I'm also giving away like a $10, $15 book. So it's just not worth it. I think people are getting enough. So I think that's partly why I started doing my own writing. Cause I'm like, well, instead of giving away all my books, I'll just do a book club where people get a new book from me every you know so often and if you're at that tier you'll never have to pay for anything i ever write you just get it you still giving people spirit animal names though that's also hard to keep up with too because <laughs> we get, probably get people, a lot of patrons well, i got a spirit animal a name from mark and he named me healing tarantula <laughs> i have a spider tattoo on my arm and i do sound healing for people so well done mark that was spot on cards. but unfortunately not everybody sticks around so it's like why i I almost felt like I'm giving spirit animal names to people who then leave a month later, you know? So I, I want to get a more dedicated, the people who do stick around have spirit animal names. So if they really want one, they can hit me up. I'll give them one. But uh, 
for now that's uh, paused. Cool, man. Well, we're going to hop over to the uh, second hour reminder. People check out Music and Sky if you can possibly go to that or the Bertaria Festival. Music and Sky in California, Bertaria meetup in Southeast Missouri. I'm going to be at both of those. Labor Day weekend for the Bears and the middle of October for the Music and Sky Fest being thrown by Alpha Vedic. And also hit me up at chance at interversepodcast.com if you're interested in doing a tuning session. Those have been quite as remarkable as always and um, schedule does stay pretty full with that. So if it's something you want to possibly do in the next month, get in touch so I can get you on the books so you're not waiting possibly longer than is comfortable. <laughs> and we're going to play some uh, interlude music between this and the second hour. I'll drop the link to Rockfin stream in here in the chat. It's also already there in the episode description on YouTube. And I got an email from a listener who creates music and wanted to show me his music. And uh, the the handle is Volo, V-O-L-O. I checked out his page on Spotify and SoundCloud and I was really into the tunes. And so I'm going to play one of his tracks called Dream State. Pretty appropriate for the conversation that we've already had. So we're going to be over on Rockfin. You guys got about four minutes of music to get yourself over there. Sign up if you need to or get on my Patreon and you'll check, be able to check out the uh, replay whenever I post that later today. And thank you, Mark, for being here. Everyone make sure and go check out my family. Thanks. I'm crazy. There's a lot of good stuff in there and uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. Thank you, Mark, for being here. Thanks for having me.